0: We've been working our way through the book of First Samuel, and uh, one of the things that we've seen that, that the reason the book of First Samuel was given to God's people is so that God's people would always put their hope and trust, their obedience, to be given to the King, the Deliverer, the Savior of God's own choosing. Uh, what we've uh, seen so far is that uh, although the people rejected God as their king, they, and they chose uh, Saul to be their king, God is still at work. Uh, there's uh, a need for preparation to happen in the hearts and the lives of God's people so that they're in a place and ready when God's chosen king comes. And one of the things that we've seen in this, uh, this book and as we've studied is that Part of that preparatory work that God is doing in the the lives of His people is exposing to them so that they would see and understand how foolish it is to go after saviors and deliverers of our own choosing. Uh, In fact, it seems like the author of 1 Samuel is going out of his way to show us how insufficient Saul is. As a king and as a deliverer, the same thing though is true for us as we're going to see in, in the passage that we look at this morning. As God continues to do this work, the, uh, chapter fourteen is uh, is going to show us in uh, yet again how Saul falls short. Now you may say, "Well, I'm not looking for another king in my uh, in my life." We don't have that kind of government anymore. But do we not look to other people or other things other than our God to deliver us, to escape, to find safety, refuge, hope? What what we're going to see this week is that regardless of what we're looking at, although the book of 1 Samuel is focusing on exposing Saul, The same thing holds true for any false savior. Any man-made, chosen deliverer that we pursue after will disappoint time and time and time again. So if you would, look with me in chapter 14 of the book of 1 Samuel. as As I was getting ready to come up here, Beckett leaned over and he whispered to me, he's like, do you realize how long this chapter is? Did you mean to do that? Are you going to read the whole thing? Well, uh, I don't feel uh, competent enough to tell you what part of God's Word you should hear and what you shouldn't. I'm not going to skip over any of it. Uh, this is a, a great story, uh, and it's the Word God has for us this morning. So, join with me as we hear from 52 verses. <laughs> from 1st Samuel 14. This will be like story time. But we're going to dig in because this is not just myth. It's the very Word of God. What does He have here for us this morning? Give your ear to God's Word. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 235. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah, in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phineas, son of Eli, the priest of Yahweh in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. When the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, uh, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the others. The name of the one was Bozez, and the name of the other was Sennet. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash uh, and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that Yahweh will work for us for nothing can hinder Yahweh from saving by many or by few. And his armor-bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us... Then we will go up, for Yahweh has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us, and we'll show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for Yahweh has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length and an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked and it became a very great panic. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who is gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahasia, Bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, "'Withdraw your hand.' Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time, and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim... Heard that the Philistines were fleeing. They too followed hard after them in the battle. So Yahweh saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. So Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it's evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath, so he put out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint." Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey? How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found. For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. They struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon. And the people were very faint. The people pounced on the spoil and took the sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against Yahweh by eating with the blood. And he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone here to me. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against Yahweh by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night, and they slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to Yahweh. It was the first altar that he built to Yahweh. Then Saul said, "'Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them.' And they said, "'Do whatever seems good to you.' But the priest said, "'Let us draw near to God here.' And Saul inquired of God, "'Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel?' But he did not answer them that day. And Saul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today. For Yahweh lives who saves Israel. Though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. Then he said to all Israel, You shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan my son will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said, O Yahweh, God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or in Jonathan my son, O Yahweh, God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is in your people Israel, give thumim." And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. Then Saul said, cast the lot between me and my son Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, tasted a little honey with the tip of my staff that was in my hand. Here I am. I will die. And Saul said, God, do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. Then the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As Yahweh lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. And Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them, and he did valiantly struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malkishua, And uh, the names of his two daughters were these, the name of the firstborn Marab and the name of the younger Michael. And the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam and the daughter of Ahmaz, And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Nair, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul and Nair, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him to Himself. Let's pray. Father, just like Israel, we continue to need Your work in our hearts and our lives. Uh, we are too prone uh, to chase after man-made deliverers of our own choosing. We pray now, uh, just as You are at work and Your people uh, in the book of 1 Samuel, that You would be at work now among us. Holy Spirit, accomplish Your purposes in this Word. Turn our hearts fully to cling and hope and rest in Jesus, the King of God's choosing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So God in this chapter is exposing... uh, the, the insufficiencies, the disappointment of Saul as a deliverer, as a savior. And we've already, as I've already said, this is also going to be true of any man made chosen savior or deliverer. Here we want to look at a few things that we see that God is exposing that's true of Saul, but is true of man chosen deliverers or saviors in general. Um, First, uh, let's look and see what this chapter tells us. How do deliverers of our own choosing, how do they deal with our enemies? Notice here, Saul does a very poor job of dealing with the enemies that face God's people. Uh, We we can see in in the beginning of this chapter that there's a comparison and a contrast that's going on between Jonathan and Saul. Notice even how the first verse starts. Remember, it tells us that uh, one day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to his young man who carried his armor, this is in verse 1, come let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. Jonathan is ready to continue what God had initially called Saul to do, to attack the Philistines, to bring deliverance from his people. Jonathan yet again is ready to do this. He did it the first time. What Saul was to do to attack the garrison at Gibeah, the Philistines mounted and were ready to attack and engage Israel. Jonathan's ready to do it again. But what do we find Saul doing? Notice verse 2. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. Remember what we heard before? In fear, how the people were responding? They were jumping into any hole or bucket or barrel or cave they could find. Some of them even crossed the river and fled to get as far away from the Philistines as possible. What is the the deliverer and savior of man's own choosing doing here with relationship to the enemies that God's people are facing? Nothing. He hides himself in a cave and he does nothing. But notice what what fuels Jonathan's action. It's not that he's just some cocky guy, but notice why it is that he's attacking. Look again in verse verse 6. Jonathan says to his young armor-bearer, "'Come, let us go over to the garrison "'of these uncircumcised. "'It may be that Yahweh will work for us, "'for nothing can hinder Yahweh from saving "'by many or by few.'" Remember how much of a contrast this is from Saul's response previously. who is He along with the rest of the people were deathly afraid of the Philistines who were, appeared as the sand on the seashore who had horses and chariots and weaponry. But Jonathan here, focused with a heart of faith to the God who delivers, says, I know... God is able to deliver. And it's because of the God who we follow and we serve that I'm going to move forward to pursue and attack these Philistines. He is responding to the the character and the goodness of God in moving forward. And notice the results. From verses 13 to 15, what we see is there's great success. So much so that it it actually recounts all uh, that the Philistines were were, uh, mustering up as they sent out raiders, as all of their military assembled. Notice the work that God does in response to what Jonathan has done. Uh, It says, uh, there was a great panic in the camp in verse 15, in the field and among all the people, the garrison and even the raiders that had gone out, they trembled, the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. God is working and moving. But notice Saul's response in contrast to Jonathan. Saul's been hiding in the cave the whole time. When does Saul finally decide to move forward and begin to attack and deal with the enemies? It's not until success seems almost guaranteed. If we uh, look down in verses 16 through 20, it's not until Saul sees all of this going on that is being accomplished that he finally says, "Uh, all right, let's get the troops together and let's go in and battle. He's not concerned. His focus isn't on dealing with the enemies of God's people. And even notice how the people describe what Jonathan is doing in contrast to... Uh, to Saul. Look in verse 45. The people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die who worked worked this great salvation in Israel? That's how it's described of Jonathan. And even as it goes forward, he's even described as one who has worked with God this day. Saul is in complete contrast to that. We see in verses 47 to 48, it's not as if uh, Saul was never effective. There were times where he did bring some deliverance and some victory before the people of God. But notice here in this situation what happens. They're on the cusp of a great victory. God is destroying the Philistines before them. Saul, their king, realizing and seeing what God is doing, should have taken steps to move forward and to take care of the enemy facing God's people. But what does he do? Look in verse 46. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines and the Philistines went to their own place. He stopped. He didn't follow through. He did not bring deliverance and victory to the people and the enemies they were facing. In fact, that shows up in verse 52 as it summarizes Saul's reign. Remember, what he was called to do is to deliver the people from the Philistines. But verse 52 says, there was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him to himself. Saul had the strongest man of all, the Lord God of Israel. Yet he's focused on drawing these warriors to his side But the whole time, never addressing and dealing with the enemies that face his people. The enemies that the people chose Saul to deliver them from. We want a king who will deliver us. We want a king who will fight our battles for us. But what do we see? Man chosen deliverers do not bring you salvation from your enemies. The same is true for us. Our enemies, even for the church in Ukraine, is not flesh and blood. It's not weapons. It's not artillery. It's not soldiers. The scriptures tell us that our greatest enemies are spiritual. We're facing spiritual warfare. We even talked about this a few weeks ago, that for us as God's people, the, the greatest conflicts that we are engaged in are against uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our, our, our sin that is, that is in us, what is separated and keeping us from God, the assaults and the attacks of the evil one against God and His people. What chosen deliverer can you look to right now that can save you from your sin, that can protect and deliver you ultimately from the assaults of the devil, or from the influences and the attacks and the persecution of this world. No deliverer, no person, no substance, no change of circumstances. There is only one. Only one sufficient to deliver and save you from your enemy. And that is the Lord Jesus. Flip over to Romans chapter 8. Listen to what Paul, one of Jesus' authorized spokespersons, says about Christ's work, God's chosen deliverer and king, how sufficient His salvation is what His deliverance looks like against enemies. Look in verses 31-39. through What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That actually is a great summary of Jonathan's profession of faith before that battle. The Lord God of Israel is on our side. Who does it matter is against us. As he goes on, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Any of those things stated there do you fear? Are there any of those things stated there that you long for salvation and deliverance? Anything stated there that right now you're looking for anyone or anything to escape this kind of struggle in your life? Listen to what the scriptures say about Jesus. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Will anything separate us? No, Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Saul was inefficient, but in Jesus we become more than conquerors. It's like Paul didn't have enough language To describe and say, you're not just victorious, you're more than victorious. Through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is that sufficient of a Savior to deliver you from all of your enemies sufficiently forever so that nothing will ever separate you from Him? This is the the kind of deliverer that God chooses to provide for His people. Why would we want to go to anything or anyone or anything else? It's not just Saul. Any deliverer of our own choosing will fail to deliver you from your greatest enemies that you face, but also here in this this chapter we see it's it 's not just saul or man 's chosen deliverers that fail to deliver us from our enemies we also see that that these deliverers of our own choosing they fail to to draw us closer to our God. Look at, look at Saul. Look back over in in chapter, chapter fourteen, and verse three. Who's described that Saul is surrounding himself with? The people who were with him were about six hundred men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phineas, son of Eli, the priest of Yahweh in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And and Ephod was one of the ways that that the people through the priest sought to to hear from God. That he would reveal himself to them. Do you realize who it is that Saul has with him to to, to seek and, and know more about God and what he's communicating? It's this descendant of Eli who was serving in Shiloh. Remember what we already heard before? God was silent there. He wasn't revealing himself in Shiloh any longer because of their their wickedness and their rebellion. He brought in a prophet to speak, Samuel. Do you want to know what God is saying, Saul? You don't want the line of Eli advising you. You want to make sure Samuel is the one you're listening to. If you are are, are intent and it's a priority, not just for you, but for the people that you lead to know God, then you need to be close to Samuel. But do you remember what happened in the last chapter? Look in verse, verse 15 of chapter 13. After Saul's sin and rejection of God's commandment, notice what happens. Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. He's not there. Saul doesn't pursue him. Saul is not concerned with hearing or knowing what God has to say. But Jonathan, on the other hand, do you remember what happened when we we read about this attack that Jonathan wanted to do? Jonathan didn't just say, oh, this is a good idea. I think we can take him, even though there's just two of us. No, he said, let's see if God would have us go and attack the Philistines. And so, in seeking the Lord's will, he comes up with this way of determining a a sign that will confirm to them whether God would have them go and attack or not. Jonathan, in contrast to Saul, is always ready and willing to listen to and hear what God has to say, and he's not going to act unless God calls him to move forward. Saul, on the other hand, it, it was interesting. When he, when he didn't know what was going on with all of the craziness in the camp, down in verses uh, 16 and following, they're looking and seeing what's going on. And, and then it says in verse 18, So Saul says to Ahijah, "...bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel." Now there, there's uh, some question of whether that the word that's there that says ark should be translated or understood to be designating the ark or the ephod that the priest was wearing. Either way, we've already seen the people have tried to use the ark uh, uh, before in a, in a wrong way. Uh, but here, notice, uh, Saul is here at least trying to seek what God would have him to do, kind of. you notice what happened? He says, bring the ark here. So as in verse 9, 19. Now, Saul was, while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. And then Saul and all the people with him uh, rallied and they went into the battle. Saul doesn't care to actually listen and hear from God. He begins, but he cuts the priests off in the middle. Oh, from my perspective, the circumstances have changed. I don't think I really need God as much anymore. It looks like we're winning and doing okay, so he fails to listen and hear if God would even speak. And in fact, later on, it actually comes up and it confirms that. In verses 36 and 37, when Saul yet again tries to go out and attack the Philistines, he's ready to go do it in verse 36, but it's the priest who says, hold on. Let us draw near to God. It's not Saul's initiative. It's the priest. And then when they do, God doesn't answer him. Because the Lord is already showing us Saul is not one whose heart desires to hear from God. He's not one who desires to lead and direct God's people into a closer relationship with him. Uh, that's why, in contrast, as, as Jonathan is described, Jonathan is described in verse 45 as one who worked with God, unlike Saul. As, as you think about uh, deliverers or saviors that you're pursuing after, that you're hoping in, of your own choosing, how do those people or those things or those situations affect your relationship with the Lord? Is that person, that relationship that you're pursuing, the one who you think will deliver you from your loneliness, from your feelings of, of in, uh, uh, insignificance, of one who will give you attention, are they directing you closer to the one living and true God? What about that the, the substance that you pursue so that you will forget. So that your, your heart, your emotions, and your mind will be numbed. Does that draw you into a closer relationship with the Lord? No. There, there is only One. There is only One who will bring us into a relationship with our God who will cause us to move in righteousness and holiness and dependency and the one living and true God. And that is the king and the deliverer of God's own choosing. Look in Matthew chapter 11. Listen to what that king says. At the end of chapter 11 and verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. It is only Jesus. It is only through Jesus, the One who always, totally and completely, was focused on the will of His Father, who always perfectly lived a life of righteousness and trust and obedience, the One whom when we seek Him will lead us and bring us to our God. There is no one or no thing that you you pursue that will be able to do what Jesus does. He is the only one. The one designated by the Father. If you were created for a relationship with your God, then for the Deliverer that you're hoping in to be sufficient, to be worth your hope, it must He must bring you, restore you into a relationship with your Creator. And the only one who can do that is the man of God's own choosing. Lastly, let's examine and see how do deliverers of our own choosing, how do they rule over us? You notice, again, contrasting Jonathan and Saul, in chapter 14, Do you notice the way that the armor-bearer responds to Jonathan? He's very loyal. He he trusts Jonathan. Wherever Jonathan leads, because of the way that Jonathan cares for him, my heart is with yours, he says. But the, the people of Israel we've already seen, they would rather hide in a barrel than follow Saul. In fact, we saw later in in chapter 14 this morning already, some people said, you know what? I would rather go ahead and go follow and give my allegiance to the Philistines than to follow Saul. He doesn't instill and enlist the confidence of his people. They're beginning to see, as he is exposed to, uh, to be insufficient, that they're not following him. And even in verse 20-23 through 23, when they slowly are restored and begin to follow and turn back from Saul, those who went with the Philistines, those who were hiding in the caves, those who ran over the, uh, the, the, the over into to Ephraim, they're coming back to follow Saul, but it's slow. But notice why everybody is slow to follow Saul. Uh, it's It's interesting to to see, uh, to compare Jonathan's, uh, how he responds in the result of his actions among the people and Saul's response. Remember, Saul, because the people were fearful, the people were hard-pressed, it tells us in verse 26, Saul threatens them. They're not willing to follow me. They're struggling. They're fearful. I know what I'll do. I'll threaten them with death. That's what he does in verse 24. In fact, that comes up over and over again. It's mentioned multiple times as Saul talks about this curse, this this oath that he's taken, that anyone who eats will die, even if it's Jonathan. And the result of that leadership over and over, it tells again and again that the people are either fearful or they're faint. They don't thrive under his leadership. They thought that he would bring them deliverance and life, but what does he do? He brings them suffering and pain. Jonathan, on the other hand, do you notice what happened? When he tasted the honey, his eyes brightened. Jonathan even looks at his father's leadership and he says this in verse 29, "'My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey?' How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found. For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. Saul's leadership, the the, the saviors of our own choosing, instead of bringing life, they bring enslavement, imprisonment, faintness. They rob us of flourishing. Saul here, even if we look at it, Who is he more eager to kill? Saul is more eager to kill people under his own care and his very son than to go and attack the Philistines who are the enemies of God's people. In the end, the deliverer of our own choosing doesn't care about us, it'll result in less life. Does that sound familiar? Think about the deliverers that you have chosen in the past. Think about that substance that you really thought would deliver you from your anxieties and your fears and your struggles. And at first, it really did seem to numb everything and you felt like you could escape. But the more you go to it, the more the, the, the fallout becomes. The, the more the withdrawals affect you. Your life is struggling. Your relationship is struggling. Physically, you are suffering. And now you are imprisoned and a slave to the very thing you thought would bring you life and salvation and deliverance. That's the way it is with man-chosen deliverers and saviors. What about that job that you're pursuing? Because won't status and success and more money, isn't that exactly what you and your family need? What will make your life better for all of you to thrive? It sounds like it. That's the world's talk. But how's that going for you? Working and killing yourself to make that money, to get that promotion, the hours upon hours is it's taking you away more from your family, from your church, everything that you're pursuing, now you are enslaved to the very thing you thought would bring you life. Your marriage is suffering, your children are suffering, and your relationship with the Lord is suffering. There is only one who will bring you life and fullness. Listen to what your king says. Again, from Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The way Jesus rules over and cares for you, his people, will result not just in your salvation, but your flourishing, ultimate rest. This is your king. Why? Why would you want to choose and go after a deliverer of your own choosing when it is Jesus that God has provided for you? May we as God's people see that saviors of our own choosing will not deliver us from our enemies. They will not bring us closer to God and they will not bring us life that is only found in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. We thank you for the provision of Jesus. We thank you for 1 Samuel 14 uh, and this instruction to us. We pray that you would open up our eyes that we might see and know that Jesus and only Jesus is sufficient for all that we need. In Christ's name, amen.